everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 111 of the show, where we are diving into the final month of 1965. Dang. And from what I hear, 1966 is the best year for Marvel, so... That'll be exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely one higher, right? <laughs> it's one higher. One better. Because um, every year they consistently get better, right? I think it goes, I think, yeah, that's every year the, the numbers go up and the qualities go up. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be bringing four comics to you from December of 1965. We're going to do the X-Men number 17 Daredevil number 13, Journey into Mystery 125, and Tales to Astonish 77, all of which were released on December 2nd of 1965. Yep. So um, I guess let's dive in. Let's dive into this crazy red X-Men cover. Yeah, but we better be careful because I've heard that none shall survive. Oh. Oh. Doesn't this... Doesn't this remind you of like the red that they used? Was it in like Weapon X or something like that? Those covers? I don't know. This seems like an X Mini cover, but it's kind of striking. Yeah, yeah. Solid colors or colors that are predominantly one color are always like, re- like, like, what's going on here? And the yeah. red, I mean, red screams danger, right? So this is definitely danger. a stranger danger cover. Stranger danger. Stop. Don't go in. But I don't think we're allowed to cover this comic, actually, now that I say this. Oh, why? Well, it says on the cover you can't reveal the incredible ending to any living soul. Oh, shoot. Well, we can go all the way to the end, and then you can just stop. Oh, okay. Let's make sure to remember to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, the ghost of Stanley is going to haunt our nights. Don't say whose hand is on that doorknob. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that sounded a lot creepier than it <laughs> I just noticed it. I didn't realize there was a dude holding a door open with his hand right there, but that's interesting. All right. Though the youthful X-Men managed to defeat the Deadly Sentinels last-ish, they did not escape unscathed. There definitely was some scathing. Within moments, a first aid team of National Guard medics reaches the scene. Story, Jan Lee, really? Stan Lee, layouts J. Kirby, pencils J. Gavin. Okay, that's the letter J and then the name J. So just to Mm. distinguish there. Inks, Dick Ayers, and lettering Asimek. So, um, yeah, it's basically what it said on the tin. The X-Men are recovering from their battle. The Beast is actually uh, injured and being carried off on a stretcher. They're wrapping his rather large feet. Um, the general is like, hey, Professor Xavier, um, glad you're here. We're going to have to really apologize to the X-Men and stuff. He's like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, I think they're going to take me home, though. So see ya. Meanwhile, the ambulances carry the beast off to the hospital, and the military um, are trying to gather whatever they can from the wreckage of the Sentinel base. Also, Iceman is being taken to the hospital um, because he's not feeling well. He was, he was on his feet after the battle, but then he wasn't feeling well. So and they got him laying down and he basically like is going in and out of um, consciousness. And he's like talking in his sleep and stuff about how he needs to be faithful to the X-Men. Doctor's kind of worried because it's really hard to study somebody who is made of solid ice. They're like, I don't even understand his <laughs> physiology. So <laughs> why even bother? Yeah. At least the beast they can take x-rays. If he has weird bones, okay, we can still tell if they're broken. Yeah, I wish the doctor was just like, forget this guy. I don't even know where to start. Whatever. Um, Warren calls uh, back at the he- X-Men headquarters. They, they don't tell him it's a school because, you know, they don't know this is a school. But because uh, he's checking their uh, voicemail because Xavier has invented that. 
and um, they find out that Angel's parents are coming to visit. And Xavier tries to forestall them, but it's not going too well. So he's like, okay, Angel, you better you better get home and wait for your parents. So Angel flies home. Um, also, I think Xavier thinks there's something dangerous at the, I think he can send with his, with his mind powers or something dangerous back at the mansion. So Angel flies home, doesn't see any problems. We see some creepy eyes inside the mansion looking out at him. He goes inside and an ax flies toward him from the suit of armor. Uh, it, he, he dodges cause that's what Angel's good at. He's flying down the hallway, but accidentally collides into a mirror and, uh, hitting the glass like that knocks him out. The doctor um, tries to take Cyclops' eyes off, but his eyes blast a laser beam. He's like, oh, never mind. You can keep those on. And um, Xavier and Cyclops go back to the mansion. They get inside okay, but Cerebro is going crazy. And like, it wasn't earlier. But now it's going really, really crazy because something really dangerous, only the most powerful of mutants. Um so Xavier gets attacked by some moving wires with electrodes that zap his brain. Scott uh, gets blasted by something. The, the Oh yeah, the power goes out and he starts getting punched. Some mysterious attacker is punching him in the face. Back at the hospital, Beast is all doing better. Uh, Jean Grey never had any problems, but she finally walks into the story on page 13. Um, Iceman is the only one still sick and they just kind of got to leave him there, hoping that nothing bad happens. They get back to the mansion too. They open the door and suddenly the entire inside of the mansion is coated in ice and wax and slippery stuff. And it's crazy. They slide down the hallways. They can't stop themselves because it's a frictionless surface. And Jean Grey's like, oh no, it's you. And a shadowy menacing form towers over Jean Grey until... Um, Oh, yeah, he had popped in a sleep gas into the room. So Jean Grey falls asleep. Uh, let's see. Um, to make a long story tolerable, um, all of the X-Men get bundled into a large metal sphere with a hot air balloon attached. They launch the hot air balloon, the, they being the mysterious person, launch a hot air balloon into the air just as the Worthingtons are arriving. Mr. and Mrs. get out of the car, come knock on the door. It opens up. Ah. You must be parents of a student. But, but who are you? I, I am power. Turn the page, full page splash. Men call me Magneto. Dun, dun, dun. You told. Oh, shoot. You're right, I did. That's okay, because there's no way we could talk about this and not tell, probably. (laughs) We've done a pretty good job with the Green Goblin so far. (laughs) You know what's cool? It's like they heard us complaining or something. Oh, yeah? What were we complaining about? We've been complaining a lot about, like, their choice for reveal shots. Oh, lately. you're right. Like, Gorgon and I can't even remember who. Oh, Dr. Jug- Octopus being whatever. and Juggernaut was a really Yeah, Juggernaut was kind of boring. And then, like, this is just sweet. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's good. And Not only they show nothing the entire issue, and then we get this full split page splash of him opening the door to kill Angel's parents. It's just so awesome. And normally I have a really, really big problem with covers that do something this cover is doing, but this is kind of the exception that proves the rule. Mm-hmm. This cover says there's a really big bad mm-hmm. that's going to get revealed in this story. Yeah. And that happens at the end of the book. Right. But the cover doesn't show you who it is. 
And the scene on the cover doesn't even exactly happen the way it happens in the book. It's a no. symbology. And throughout the issue, you're, you know there's this menace building. So it's like, even though the moment is like the last moment of the book, it's not actually the last moment of the book. No, but if like say if like you're right, say if like Magneto was revealed by page two, then I would say, yeah, why not put Magneto on the cover? Because right, you know, we want we want to buy this book because of Magneto. But if you're gonna make a point, which they did in this story of just not telling us who this dude is the entire story, then I would have hated if they put Magneto on the cover because and, and it would have ruined everything. How many times have you read a comic where the first three or four pages are trying to slowly build to the reveal mm-hmm. of a bad guy? Mm-hmm but you already saw them on the cover. Right. Even if it's yeah. just early in the story, but like there's like shadows and hints and, and f- you know, foreshadowing before the guys revealed on page five. Still, it's like, I already saw this guy on the cover. This is not a reveal. I don't care. Yeah. So I don't know. I think they time traveled and just decided, Oh, these two guys want to show, want to see how we can do a reveal. We'll do a reveal. And they did like the coolest artistic choices with both cover and story to, get us to Magneto in the end. I just thought that was really fun. It was pretty great. Yeah. Um, on that first page there in the story, Angel says, the fat's in the fire now. There's no way for Professor X to keep our battle out of the headlines after all this. Mm-hmm. And was that a concern before now? Was the X-Men I thought fighting? they were already a thing. Didn't they have to save a military base from a terrorist attack in the very first issue? Yeah. And then by issue two, they had like fans ooing over them. Right. And stuff. Oh, they're the X-Men. Now, we never were sure if people knew the X-Men were mutants. We thought maybe the X-Men or the X-Men were trying to pass off as superheroes, just, Mm -hmm. you know, plain old superheroes. And they seemed popular, but they've been known. They're not secret. Maybe Warren's just not clued in. Although there is some concern that they connect Professor X to them again, which we've had before. Right. Uh, Which that I can understand. Xavier likes to keep his connection with the X-Men secret. Because everybody knows about his school, so that would be pretty obvious, I guess. Right. His school is in the Yellow Pages. I don't know if there are Yellow Pages in 1965, but there will be. Um, So Xavier and the Doctor are talking about Iceman, and um, let's see, the Doctor says, so alien is he to normal medical knowledge that we can do nothing but keep him under observation and hope for the best? And Uh Xavier says, I understand, Doctor, none of the usual medications can be given to one whose physical makeup defies anything science has ever encountered before. Mm-hmm. And I wrote something down because I thought it was something about, you know, the usual thing about how, like, we got to, like, pray for the, I don't know. I wrote down, I don't think Xavier is a theist, but um, there's no. nothing here that makes me think Although in the 60s, he might be just because they play it safe like that. But That's true. But I would say, if I had to guess, he would not be. But uh, I also like that it's Iceman specifically. I, I, I'm glad they didn't say that about, like, all the mutants. Like, I don't know what to give Beast to help his leg, you know, because he's a mutant, so he can't take aspirin. But, like, in the case of Iceman, he is coated in ice. So, really, there's, like, this protective layer on him, and there's no way to examine what the heck is going on, I imagine. Like, you can't hear his heart correctly. Right. Probably. Or, you know, take any blood, because he's, you can't stab him, you know? And it raises an interesting question, because I had always thought of Iceman as being solid ice. Yeah. Until this one point in, like, the late 80s, early 90s, where he gets taught how to change from being an ice-covered person to solid ice. And it's, like, a really big deal. And I'm like, I thought he always was. I think we yeah, actually see, mentioned I, this earlier. Yeah, we did. And I, I don't think I ever thought that because of the Spider-Man and his amazing friends. It totally looked like he just coats himself with ice and then bursts out of it. Bursts out of it, but... But either way, like if you're coated in ice and they don't have any way of getting it off you, which by the way, that's interesting that it doesn't leave him even when he's unconscious. 
Right. Uh, usually people's powers turn off when they go unconscious for some reason. Um, but yeah, what are they going to do? And just a character note, because I'm positive, at least I hope I'm positive, that this will play a next issue. He's worried that he has to prove himself because it's the second issue in a row where he's talked about being the youngest and, you know, he's not a real man and he's an ex-boy. Oh, yeah, you might be honest on that because we end this issue with all the X-Men captured and... Except Iceman. Except so, Iceman. So who's going to save the day? Not to spoil it because I really don't know. I haven't read it. That's just my right, assumption. Right. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So they're trying to keep Xavier's connection to the X-Men secret and uh-huh. the X-Men are trying to keep their secret identities secret, which is mm-hmm. why on page four in the first panel, um, Xavier reminds the Beast mentally not to use any... Um, you know, not to take off his mask, don't mm-hmm. reveal that Xavier's the leader. And then he says, no, McCoy, he's still on the critical list. The left four lad is delirious. <laughs> oh, shoot. I didn't notice that. And I'm like, why did you uh, use his name? That's actually worse than taking off your mask. Right? You just gave always, him a name. I always love how generic white guys are so worried about taking off their masks. And <laughs> like, you realize nobody's going to know who you are, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're being drawn by Jack Kirby. Your, your right. face is literally the same shape. Which is a different mask over the first half. Yeah, but McCoy, now they can go to Xavier's school, find out who's registered there. Oh, somebody named McCoy with big oh, feet. Oh, check that out. It's like it's like if someone found out that Robin was a dick and they knew that Bruce Wayne had a dick. You're right. Oh, wait. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly how that works. So, um, so, so did they invent the answering machine? Because that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know if they were like using an answering service where somebody's taking their calls. Um, but it really feels like no, the intro is called the automatic phone answering device at X Men headquarters. Yeah, he invented an answering machine. I was just looking really fast, but uh, when were answering machines invented? Well, eighteen ninety eight, but that can't be a real thing. A commercial answering machine, the Tel Magnet, offered in the United States in 1949, played outgoing messages recording incoming messages on a magnetic wire. It was priced at $200, but not a commercial success. So maybe, like, they've heard of it and they just did a sci-fi spin on it or something? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But, like, like the, the special tapes with the special loops that we would use in the 80s, I don't know mm-hmm. when that device started being used. I think the 80s, but... It could be the 80s, yeah. So anyway, that's cool. I like I like forward thinking sometimes. Yeah. Uh, 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 we get more of Angel's parents, so that's interesting. Yes, I like Angel's parents, especially since like we just saw them briefly before, and uh-huh. we weren't really sure exactly what his relationship was like with his parents because he keeps his wings secret from them. Yeah, so that's going to really be interesting because Magneto just answered the door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if that gets revealed next issue. Like he has to save them or something. The Magneto who once again has telepathic powers. Oh, yes, of course. Um, there's the school at last. Have you managed to contact the angel mentally yet, Professor? No. And that's what worries me. I seem to sense some sort of mental barrier around the school. Something my own mutant brain cannot penetrate. So, yeah. I think, don't they say something about Cerebro, like detecting a mental person too? Maybe I missed, Maybe I made that up. I don't know. Um, Cerebro only reacts that way when a dangerous mutant threatens. Oh, uh, okay. They didn't um, say mind. Only a powerful mutant could prevent me from mentally reaching out to him. Ah, there it is. So yep. yeah, mental-powered mutant. Yep. Oi. I do. You know, someone wrote us a letter today, and I'm, I won't read the letter right now because we'll do that some other time. But like, they were talking about how like trying to figure out how powers work and 
a discussion we had on powers. And I, it occurred to me that, you know, maybe we shouldn't put too much stock into powers in these early 60s days because there's going to be about 50 more years of solidifying how they actually work. And, you know, we could care then. Because <laughs> I think right now they're just making stuff up as they go along. Yeah, but it's like, I, I, on one hand, I agree. Because I, sh- I don't think we should, like, overly concern ourselves with it. But, like, the stories that are drawn next year are based on the stories that were drawn this year. So, uh-huh. like... They, they do change in metamorphose, and I, I'm always kind of intrigued by, okay, so the fact that Magneto had telepathy on a regular basis yeah. in the 60s, that's cool to me. I don't know what to do with that information. It's like, oh, huh. It doesn't gel with most of the other Magneto information I have, but it right. is interesting. Yeah, and It's not just a oh. one-off. It's been like three no. or four different issues. Oh, they've, they've <laughs> flaunted it. They've, especially that one where he was like, after Submariner, man, he was a full-on telepath. You know, I remember that one time that Xavier was going to the store and he decided to buy a mechanical mental wave distorter, <laughs> the one type of weapon that he can't fight. And he took it home and just like put it in his closet for a rainy day. Well, if their greatest enemy is a telepath, maybe that's why he bought it. I guess. But I'm like, why do you have one of those? I don't know. But I did think that it was really cool that it came alive like a snake and snapped him and stuff. Yeah. It in was fact, a cool scene. In fact, if I'm going to complain about one artistic choice, I kind of was bummed out that he just used his fists on Cyclops in the dark. I think it would have been cooler to see like, you know, staplers hitting him in the head or something like that. Those were just big metal fists. Yeah. He was just, he was just using metal fists to punch Cyclops over and over again. Yeah. Like why would Magneto be fisticuff guy? I don't know. Right. Right. Eh. Okay. So speaking of randomly mentioned powers, Uh there is this notion that only comes up when the plot asks for it, but does mm-hmm. kind of stick around for the long term. That uh-huh. gets first mentioned here. Okay. And that is that a mutant, not because of their powers, but just by virtue of being a mutant, mm-hmm. has certain levels of internal superhumanness, like recuperation and strength yeah. and stuff like that. See, I saw that too. It's on page 13. McCoy's like, uh-huh. you know how quickly we mutants recuperate? He does say we mutants. So mm-hmm. you could, and I don't know if they talk about this in the future and everybody, you know, and this idea, I wasn't sure how to interpret that. Does that mean like what you just said that they're all homo superior? So there's a baseline of superiority there, regardless mm-hmm. of what your power is. Or did he mean like we mutants, like he was talking about himself and I don't know, is that the third person or something? Or and he knows something about himself and he thinks it's true of everybody. Or, yeah, but he's like, the. I can see the beast healing quickly because he's all, like, physical. His powers are physical, you know? Kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah. Usually, usually hairy people that can jump and are super strong, they heal fast, too, for some reason. I, I've seen that about hairy people. Yeah. See, I'm not but, that hairy. That's why it takes me forever. But, <laughs> but I have seen, but I don't like, know if even, that's what even Kitty Pride, I remember mentioning it once. Okay. Okay, so it's, so like, it's a mutant thing. It is a thing, yeah. But, it, like, it only comes up when it's important to the plot, so I don't know. Um, that's kind of interesting. But that, that kind of goes with the whole homo superior vibe, I guess. Yeah, just like sort of something that sets them apart as a species, not just this random gene that gives them a power. Mm-hmm. Um, now, also on page 13, on the third panel. Oh, um, gosh. Is this Gene where the has, sexism comes in? <laughs> Gene has asked Hank to say to talk normal. He uh-huh. says, I do, Genie. It's just that I employ mellifluous adjectives to do it. Uh-huh. Oh, you're just impossible. Very perspicacious of you, wench. Yikes. And that's when Jean Grey slaps the tar out of Henry McCoy. But then he continues and says, just like a woman. Which is worse. Well, if I don't know someone, if it's worse. If, 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 someone is is a, 
If someone isn't fracturing your eardrums every conceivable minute, you begin to fear that something's amiss, was his response to her wondering why they haven't heard from the professor. Who, by the way, apparently just left the hospital and didn't even tell them they were going anywhere. But Oh, that's weird. That is very weird, don't you think? Like telepathically, you could have said, hey, hey we're going to go check on the mansion. We'll be back later. But, yeah, Beast was a little uh, bad boy on this one. Yeah. He, Feels out of character. I don't know. Beast's character is not the greatest. Like as it, a person. Like right now, the, you mean? I, I don't think the Beast is the best human being. Oh, in general? Yeah. Hmm. You know, I kind of agree and don't. I, it's weird because I feel like he's got two identities sort of. Like I like I like Avengers Beast a lot. And then like mm-hmm. whenever I read X-Men Beast, he's always tampering with his body and being grumpy and like – I, don't I think know. he's well intentioned, but I don't think yeah. he actually has the internal limits and restraints on what he might do. Maybe like during his Avengers period, it was like his most sane, chill time, and then like he slipped back into whatever he really is mm-hmm. after. <laughs> Maybe hanging out with his family is like <laughs> bad for him, and he should just hang out with friends or something. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, what I really want to know is what the heck is going on inside the mansion when beast and marvel girl get there how long did it take and how many buckets of wax did magneto have to carry in to that mansion you know he did the same thing with angel there was a trap door that he ran into so it's like did did magneto go in there with the hammer and like mess around with the mansion for seven days like installing this trap door that wasn't there before he must have had his eye on the Sentinel situation, and as soon as Xavier left, he walked in. I mean, it could have been. They don't call it that. They call it uh, wax-like gloss. They don't really say what it is. So it could have been like some really super smooth metal that he just used his power to coat all over the wall. Oh, that's they true. They don't say that. They don't say that, and it makes it look more like glass or some sort of mirror. Mm-hmm. So I wish they would have said it's like some crazy metal that's all slippery. Then I would have been like, oh, he did that. That's cool. But then there's another trap door in the end. Like he gets slipped all the way down and the trap door opens and he falls in. And then Jean Grey gets gasped, which somehow doesn't knock Magneto out also. Right. And yeah, I don't know. It's like a, it's kind of a weird thing that he does at the mansion, but I still like that he got them. So whenever the 60s uses words that I've never heard of before, I often look them up to find out what they're talking about, especially when I'm doing a podcast about it. Uh huh. So on page 18, um, there's a scene with the doctor and the nurse looking at Iceman and the doctor says... Um, we're going to use a new type of sulfa drug. I know what that is. What's a sulfa drug? Um, well, I know for me what it was was something that I was allergic to because now whenever they say, are you allergic to any medication, I have to say sulfa. Okay. So, yeah, they do have a relatively high allergic rate, which is why they're not as common in the U.S. anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're super cheap. So they get used a lot in poorer countries. And basically... It's a class of antimicrobial drugs, so they fight bacteria mm-hmm. and such, yeah. disease-causing microbes. Um, yeah, I think I had a ra- – this is when I was a child, so I kind of can't remember. But I think I had some sort of rash, and they gave me something, and that just made it way worse. Oh, okay. So well, they're like called sulfa out. because there's some sulfur-based compound that is used mm. in them. But, um, but I'm yeah. not sure how that would help him – wake up exactly but i think they're just trying to rule out different possibilities and if maybe it's a disease that he's got so the idea of bringing in an antibiotic to to fight off any possible mm, infections yeah, yeah. He, at this point the doctor's like reaching grasping for straws i feel like also good luck uh administering it like since you can't stab him or anything oh yeah and he's unconscious but i guess he keeps waking up so maybe he can 
swallow something real fast. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe they can just like melt his chest and like stick it in there. <laughs> yeah, they haven't tried fire. Where's the human torch? Like hug him or something. <laughs> and then, yeah, rip the X-Men at the end there. They are, they are going off to space. They're going to die. I mean, outside of just straight up killing him, which would be more logical, but we all know we can't do that in comics. I do like this idea, like making them stuck in this weird ball that's going to go to space and kill them slowly. And isn't the last time we saw Magneto, this stranger was taking him into space? Yes. I really, really hope that we get that story because, man, if we don't, what the heck? But I'm fine with not getting it right now. And he doesn't have the toad with him. He does not. But that doesn't mean toad's not back. Maybe he's just not hanging with him. It doesn't mean the toad's not back. But we do need to find out what happened to Magneto and toad. Yeah. Since we saw them last. But it's one of my favorite comic book endings, like you said earlier. It is oh, really, God. really great. And I'm just I'm looking at the splash page again right now and just like so impressed. Like that's just such a great drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Love it. All right. Um oh, no. well, does that mean it's time for you to do Daredevil? Darn it. I have to do something. Yes. Daredevil number thirteen. We've read thirteen of these bad boys. And I totally thought last time we talked about Daredevil that I had already we already read this one. Uh yeah. It, was, it was when we summed up the month. We summed up the month last episode. Oh, right. I got yeah. Daredevil 12 confused with this plot line. So I think I actually said some things about this plot when describing Daredevil 12. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's go ahead. It's pretty much the same plot-ish kind of anyway. <laughs> it's all sort of jumped together. But anyway, it's called The Secret Origin of K-Zar's Origin. The Secret Org? I'm sorry. The Secret of K-Zar's Origin. It's not called The Secret Origin of K-Zar's Origin. That'd be weird. Uh, and that's also DC. In which we find new clues to the mysterious origin of the Lord of the Jungle. Pity poor Daredevil. Captured by the 20th century pirate known as the Plunderer, he is taken to a hidden land which turns out to be Kazar's domain. There, he loses his super senses in battle, and as he lies helpless in Kazar's cave, along comes Magor, last of the deadly ape-man tribe. Otherwise, everything's just fine. See, I wish I would have read ahead, and then last time I did a summary, I could have just read that. But anyway... And now, hang on to your hat, Pussycat. The old Marvel magic was never more exciting. Dastardly story by Stan Lee. Demonic layouts by Jack Kirby. Devastating artwork by John Romita. And dilapidated lettering by Sam Rosen. So, yeah, he's on a fur rug unconscious and Magor's coming. And he's, like, sniffing on him. And Daredevil wakes up and realizes his radar sense is gone. That explosion that knocked him out uh, did something either temporary or permanent. But, whoops. But So he can, like... Of course, hear Magar sniff on him, and he can kind of sense where he is, especially when Magar rolls him over. And so he's like, okay, well, now or never, I guess. And he punches him really hard. And we'll never know if Magar had come in peace or not, because now he's mad. And they start wrestling, and Daredevil does his best. You know, it's uh, holding on to each other, so he sort of knows where he is, but he's not winning very well. Meanwhile, we cut to Kazar, who is getting those juju berries to help his heroic friend that he doesn't know, Daredevil. And the 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 little shop of horrors plant like grabbed him and was pulling him up in the into his mouth when Zabu comes and saves the day, distracts the plant long enough for Kazar to start a fire with two rocks, and then he throws the stick of fire into the little shop of horrors plant and the thing crackles and screams and he does a Tarzan ape-man chest thing and says, Yes, I'm the best, and he does this cool call. So that call is heard by uh, the plunderer and his men who are also stuck on this island and they're going through and the men are like, yeah, let's kill. Let's that's probably Kazar. Let's go kill him. And plunderer's like, no, you don't understand. I actually have a nefarious plan for him. What's the plan? You're supposed to tell us things. No, I don't have to tell you anything. I'm a leader. 
and he punches his people, and that way he ingratiates himself with them. So cuts back to Daredevil. He's about to die pretty much when the plunderer shows up out of nowhere and shoots at Magor. Matt, that scares Magor. He runs away. Plunderer thought he was saving Kazar, but he's like, oh, man, it's just you, Daredevil. And now they notice that he's blind, where they didn't before, because he has no radar sense, so he can't fake it anymore. And they're like, ha-ha, you're blind. That's stupid. You're going to come with us. Um, we cut to some drama with Happy and what's-her-face, Karen. Uh, lots of drama. Oh, my God. Where do I begin or end? Uh, let's see. Happy still loves Karen. Karen's crying about Matt being gone. They're both kind of sad that Matt's gone because he's probably the better lawyer. Um, and Happy's sad that Karen is – oh, and they're worried that maybe he's dead because he they, they know he went on a cruise and the thing got pilfered by pirates. And then Happy gets a phone call and they say, yeah, we don't know where he is. He's lost at sea. We're going to give up the search. So Karen starts crying and Happy's like, oh, man, she really does love Matt. But that's okay. Her grief can't last forever. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Cut back to uh, 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 Kazar. He's going to go try and rescue Daredevil where he left him in the cave. But he comes across the plunderer and his crew. He attacks. But the plunderer pulls out this cool, like, little tiny stone looking thing and that stops Kazar on his tracks and he reaches into his own loincloth pocket and pulls out the other half and it turns out it's like two halves that have been separated um and plunder's like yes that's right you stupid you know caveman guy that belonged to our parents um and while while Kazar's tripping out and trying to remember his origin like they throw a cage on him and capture him and then plunder's like okay we're gonna take him back to my place and daredevil I'm going to bring you with me because I stupidly kind of gave him that thing that I want to keep and it's in his pocket and I can't get it. So you're going to get it for me. So they go all the way back to his, you know, lagoon or whatever, his towering castle. And they're all having, you know, uh, 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 a party, making fun of their butler. That's kind of a key point for later. When everybody passes out, the plunder apparently drugged everybody because he doesn't want to reveal what's really going on. What's really going on is that he had a father who also plundered and he found this crazy metal that if you hit it, it like vibrates and kills all metal. It makes explosions. And he spent the rest of his life trying to chip off a piece of it, which he successfully did. And then he split that piece in half and gave it to his two sons, Plunderer Jr. and Kazar. What? <gasps> and then the, the father and Kazar had to escape for some reason. I can't remember why. They got chased or something. And they ended up in the jungle. I don't know what happened to the father. They never say. He probably died, I guess. And the plunder has been looking for Kazar ever since. Because if you put those two halves together, it, you know, vibrates and kills all the metal in a room. So that he can make a lot of money with that. So he has Kazar in a pit. He pushes Daredevil down into that pit, too. Oh, by the way, I forgot. Kazar, like, managed to slip Daredevil, those jujube things that he got. So Daredevil's like radar sense is back, but he hasn't told anybody that. He's trying to play dumb. So he and Kazar have to fight because Kazar's going crazy right now and he's being, you know, it's hard to reason with him. So Daredevil fights him. Um, but then he he springs off of Kazar and knocks out the plunderer and gets out of the hole. And then he helps Kazar get out of the hole. So now Kazar's like, oh, Kazar, friend? Yeah, we're friends. But. The plunderer's dudes have woken up, and they're not particularly loyal to him, so they try and kill Daredevil and Kazar. Before that happens, twist upon twist, the butler that everybody's making fun of shows up, and he kills the guy trying to kill 
Kazar and Daredevil. And apparently the whole time he's been a spy trying to get a hold of this craziness too. But as he attacks uh, Kazar, who has the whole piece now in his pocket, his pocket starts vibrating and dude's gun shatters and Daredevil punches him and says, Kazar, let's go back to your island. And Kazar's like, no, my, I'm just going to go home. It's out the window. And Daredevil's like, no, it's actually not out the window. You're in a totally different place. You don't understand how submarines work. And Daredevil's like, I'm not listening. I'm caveman. And he runs away. And Daredevil's like, okay, well, I guess I'll just run with him until he figures out what's going on. And then we'll, I'll help him when he you know, calms down. So they run away. The butler guy gets up and you know, uh, calls his spy network to say he's found the thing. That, unfortunately, uh, blows up in the entire spy world. All the spies spying on each other find out that they found this thing, this vibrating disc thing. And they're all going after Daredevil and Kazar. Meanwhile, the plunderer wakes up and calls the local police. So they'll go after Daredevil and Kazar. And we end with, I think, one of the spies finding them and shooting a big grenade gun at them. And it looks like they're dead. Yep. It explodes them. They're <sighs> dead. That was last issue. Wow. That was a lot of story. It's a lot of story. You yeah. lie when you say this is like the last one. This is not the, like the last one. This is not the last one because we have to figure out more about this disc thing, I hope. So we said before that this Kazar looks like and sounds like the Golden Age Kazar, but has nothing in common with him beyond like the surface. Uh-huh. Um, which is probably because the look and the name was as much as they could get away with legally because they're totally ripping off somebody else's intellectual property. Mm-hmm. So here we get like all of his actual backstory so that they can make this a legally distinct character. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's a great backstory, but it's interesting. I'm not sure I knew any of that. Um, yeah. The, the, I don't know anything about Kazar. <laughs> I know he's well, in the Savage Land and he's blonde and he's a caveman guy. Yeah, and he's Tarzan, right? Yeah, he's Tarzan, right. So original Kazar was much more Tarzan. Um, as far as like the actual Tarzan of the Apes where Tarzan came from story, mm-hmm. the original Kazar was almost identical to that. This keeps the whole British lord as a father thing, mm-hmm. but everything else is kind of different. But the main idea here is that Kazar is going to be a person of some importance in British, you know, is nobility well, still a word? Uh, was the guy noble or a pirate? Oh, his name was Lord Plunder. So that sounds bad. Okay, I think that is totally a comic book last name, though. Okay, because he was a world-renowned explorer. It says I, I skipped to the middle, mm-hmm. uh, and he found a wondrous rock fragment. Blah blah blah. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say that whole like uh, Plunder Plunderer Junior looking for Atlantis was like a red herring the entire time. He made that up or something because he was really yeah. looking for Kazar the whole time. Because none of this. None of his motivations in this issue were even mentioned last issue. Which makes you wonder, did they invent that? Probably not. I don't know. Y- yeah. I do actually think they maybe they invented that because you would think they would have put some hints in there for drama if they had that idea. Right? But I don't jo- this John Romita did the last issue too, right? Yes, he did. It's the first one he did. Okay. So maybe there's some miscommunication between Romita and Kirby and Lee over exactly what was going on in these two issues. Maybe. but Although I do remember there was a submarine scene where he and where Plunder and Daredevil were eating and Daredevil thought there was more to this than meets the eye or something. So maybe, maybe the entire time that was the intention. I don't know. Maybe. Doesn't matter. But like, like Tarzan was John Clayton, Lord Greystoke. Kazar mm-hmm. is, you know, Kevin Plunder. That's his name. So they're basically ripping off two different people. Although Kazar, the original probably ripped off Tarzan also. So. Yeah. 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 Um, the title and the image on the first page are a fun combo. 
mm-hmm. uh, because it's like it's called the secret of Kazar's origin. Mm-hmm. And this big hulking dude is hulking up on Daredevil. It's like, you see, Timmy, Kazar <laughs> used to be a deadly ape man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this kind of went nowhere, but it was a cool cliffhanger, I guess. It was a cool cliffhanger. It's definitely one of those cliffhangers that just happens for suspense. They can resolve it next issue and get on with the story. Right. Uh, yeah. You know what's really helpful when you get attacked by pant- plants? What's that? Yell at them. <laughs> well, he's a caveman. I guess you could just argue that he thinks that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Plunder. Or yeah. I wrote down that Plunder obviously had no idea who Kazar was last issue, was only here for the Skull Island stuff. Um, yep, could be. But that was all a front, evidently, maybe it says here. It's This whole bit is weird in a way. Like, I didn't get that. He, it was cool where he holds up his half of the medallion and that stops Kazar at all. It makes him shocked. He lets him put the thing together, but then why did he let him keep it? You know, that was weird. That, that is made a little bit think, strange. Cause that made me think the story art and the story dialogue were not gelling again sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Eh. Um, okay, so let's talk about romance in the 60s. Okay, oh God. Oh, they even they even call themselves out on that page. Oh yeah, how so? The next panel was like, see how we try to please everyone? Even we presented the previous page for the benefit of soap opera lovers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've been recently reading the first novel in the Dark Shadows series, which is a tie into the old horror soap opera. Uh-huh. And so evidently... In 60s fiction, men did make overtures to women and women made advances to men rather freely. Mm-hmm. Like there's lots of flirting and lots of suggestive wording to various prospective suitors. It seemed like there was some sort of line that you might cross where you became exclusive, but that was basically, I want to marry this person. So we're going to be exclusive now. Before that, and it, this isn't a book. Not in, you know, real life, so it could be different, but apparently Karen and Betty are not really that unusual as far as stories of the day go. Karen and Betty? Yeah, because Betty. Betty is like flirting with uh, Peter and with... Um, oh, that Betty, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. Liz Allen was flirting with Flash and with Peter. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure flirting happens now, too. It just seems like it's a very... This is just all very, like, kind of superficial, no subtlety flirting i guess in a way but they're not even flirting on this page though there she's just like it's that same freaking triangle lament whatever and i still don't know if i like happy anymore or not because he's always on the fence of whether he's a good guy or not now because of this karen business he is kind of a jerk he i is. have a question for you though look yeah. at these drawings of foggy would you say he was overweight now yeah it's like ramita invented that or something I don't even think he's like overweight though. I think like maybe 20 pounds overweight, but not like right. notably overweight. No, but he's got like, I think before he looked like a GQ guy and now he's kind of looking more like the foggy. I think of when someone says foggy, a little bit of a jowl, a little bit of a, of a tug on his mm-hmm. midsection com- of the suit. He's comfortable. Yeah. He's well, I guess, I guess. Yeah. I gotta love those supersonic submarines. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where they, maybe I just missed that, that caption, but where did they go? Just set a lagoon or something? Um, they went back to England. Oh, boy. That's a long trip. Yeah. Hours, long hours later, completing the incredible voyage in record time, the fantastic undersea subcraft. Wow. Yeah, it's... That's like Mole Man technology right there. It's pretty insane. <laughs> yeah. And because uh, I guess last issue that maybe they were British and we found out this issue that, yes, they are British. 
This just gets more and more complicated in an unnecessary way, I feel like. Like all this business with him like wanting to be secretive from his crew. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, the butler's even more secretive. And it's like, wow, reveal after reveal, one panel after another. I wasn't really expecting Feepers to turn, though. That was... Yes, that's true. I kind of wish Hydra could be a part of this. Like the whole, all the other spy agencies, like mm. going out. I, I, I kind of wish... Like, and, and we just saw the end of Hydra, so it's too early to bring them back. but They don't um, come back, do they? No, probably not. No, no probably not. So is this vibranium? It should be, right? It seems vibranium-y, like, but I don't know if that's the origin of vibranium. It is not the origin of vibranium. We will get vibranium when we get Black Panther. But at no point did anybody retcon that this could be some vibranium he found somehow? I don't think that this particular story is ever mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's it's some metal that this explorer, renowned explorer, brought back from some wondrous rock-like fragment from somewhere. They don't say where. It could have been Wakanda. Right? Now, I think Kazar being Kevin Plunder and being the son of a British guy uh-huh. is like the only thing we're going to keep from this story. Okay. I think. I mean, I, I mean I've, I've read no Kazar. That's just my impression. Me neither. Um, but yeah, this is a whole other genre of story. I did rather like it. I know that it gets kind of complicated, but I was pretty, pretty into the um, developments as they were happening. And we get another nice little cliffhanger, Daredevil and... Mm-hmm. Kazar get, you know, they're on their run of the streets of England and then they get shot down. So who knows what's going to happen, but assuming they're not dead. So I just looked up Vibranium on Wikipedia mm-hmm. and it says Vibranium first appeared in Daredevil number 13, which was really? written by Stanley and illustrated by John Romita. Here, Vibranium was seen to be an unusual metal element with decidedly strange properties. So someone did retcon that this was Vibranium. Uh huh. Because yeah, they don't read, call it that. Yeah, I've read the introduction of Vibranium. It so it's definitely a retcon. Says since that point in Marvel continuity, it has been established that there are a few variations of this element which can be found in isolated regions all over the world. The variation first introduced in Daredevil 13 eventually becomes known as anti-metal, but it's I guess all offshoots of vibranium or something. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you looked that up because I yeah, like I said, I, I've read the. In- it's like how could they ignore that metal that's killing metal? That's a thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um. I don't know if I can keep on going, though, because my voice is a little Thor. Oh, are we on the Thor? We're on the Thor. All right. We're totally going to keep on going. Um, oh, this, this is the best one of the night, in my opinion. Right? Spoiler. Spoilers, but. Although I, think, I feel like we've had a really solid start to the month, so lots of good did. stuff tonight. Yeah, I've actually liked all of these, but this one really was fun for me. And it's the last issue. I know, right? Good way to go, I guess. Journey into Mystery 125, the last issue of Journey into Mystery. Oh, my God. Our baby. Right? We've lost, we're, have we, how many have we lost now? Is that this, it? This is the second. What's the first one? I forget. We lost the Incredible Hulk. Oh, yeah. We lost the Incredible Hulk. I guess we shouldn't keep track of this stuff. It's too, it's too sad. But, yeah. <laughs> well, happily, this is one of those trade-in one baby for a, a, a better <laughs> yeah. baby. Yeah, that's true. And we have the Hulk back, too, I guess. Right. Um, okay. So... This is called When Meet the Immortals. And on the cover, it has Thor facing off with a shadowy figure, very much like the X-Men cover. Mm -hmm. But no shadowy figure is revealed. But it does say on the splash page, featuring the coming of Hercules. Plus, the last issue said Hercules was coming. So it's like, if you can't figure this out, that's a weird, bad Oh, yeah. It's kind of like the opposite then. It's like they're making secret on the cover what you already know is going to (laughs) happen. Right, unless you just didn't. Maybe you picked it up for the first time, this issue. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever sample an instant synopsis? 
Try this. A witch doctor found one of those Thor's lost Norn stones. Its power changed him into the dreaded demon, the witch doctor, not Thor. Thor had to defeat him and regain the enchanted stone. There! How's that? This demon is not to be confused with the demon in Strange Tales. In the Doctor Strange storyline, different demon. Also, those weren't Thor's Norn stones, just to clarify. Oh, yeah, they weren't really Thor's. Bombastically written by Stan Lee, brilliantly drawn by Jack Kirby, beautifully inked by Vince Coletta, bashfully lettered by Artie Simic. You know, Vince Coletta gets a lot of flack for his inking. Um, Uh Uh-huh, yes. I I like the flavor of his inking, but I understand he did a lot of stuff like removing backgrounds and simplifying stuff that was did have pencils and he just didn't care to ink and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, I like, but I, I like the flavor, but I read something that I was reading an interview with Eric Larson who got Vince Coletta inking some of his early stuff that he did for Marvel. Uh-huh. And he's like, it, it was good. Cause it's like a baptism by fire. If you can survive getting inked by Coletta. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Well, I assume you've seen that YouTube video. Of Vince Coletta. I haven't. Okay. Well, I'll have to post that on, if I can remember, I'll post that on the show notes. It's actually really well done. This guy now has this channel where he's like an analyzing comic book stuff and he did a feature on Vince Coletta. So it was cool to check it out. Okay. See what everybody's talking about. He, he has examples of before and after, you know, pencils versus the inks. And it's like, wow, he really did just black out that Kirby character, didn't he? <laughs> well, we, um, the demon is a man from Mongolia who has a witch doctor mask on and is powered by a Nornstone. He and Thor are wrestling and they continue to wrestle until the demon pulls out a giant gun, a cannon that his legions have plundered on their march to the sea. Where they plundered it, we don't know, but it's equipped with rocket shells. And um, Thor's like, okay, you know what? This is, there, there's just too much fighting. We got to stop this. Meanwhile, Hercules, I don't know if he just like fell off the mountain. Or what? But we see him unconscious on the ground, and he wakes up at the sound of a train nearby. He walks over the train tracks, and the train is stopped because there's a tree in the path of the train, which, you know, you can't normally stop for stuff like that. But, you know, whatever. Hercules walks over. He's like, okay, I'll take care of this. Picks up the tree, tosses it to the side. They're like, oh, my gosh, you really are Hercules. Like, yeah, I'm Hercules. Where y'all going? We're going to the city. We're behind schedule. Ah, yes. Cities. I love cities. That's where people are. And drinking and food and women. Take me then to your city. And so Hercules gets on the train to the city. Meanwhile, Thor throws a hammer in his hammer into the barrel of the cannon to make it backfire. He walks over to the unconscious demon, snaps the Nornstone off the demon's neck. Never see the demon again. Thor swings his hammer and teleports up to Asgard and his father is there. And I was like, Hey dad, I got the Nornstone back. It's right. So be it. Um, okay. I guess if you don't want to talk, I'm just going to go home. I say the nay. Dad, dad, are you angry? I am Balder. Come here. And Balder's there. It's like, um, we have something to do. Thor has, you know, upset me. So Balder, um, I want you to kill my son. And Thor and Balder are both like, what? Uh, because Thor has, of course, told Jane that he loves her and that he is Thor. Uh, that, that Don Blake is actually Thor. And Odin has always forbidden this. 
So now all the swords of Asgard are coming against Thor at Odin's command. We see all sorts of people with all sorts of Kirby costumes fighting Thor. And while that metal is clanking and people are grunting and stabbing and dying, we switch back to Hercules. Still on the train, I think, or maybe he's just in a hot nightclub in the city. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, uh, there's music, there's drink, there's women uh, lording over his muscles. He gets a guitar and plays it, and then they get held up by some guys with masks and machine guns, and Hercules like, what is this? Are you trying to are you trying to hurt me with that that weapon? Psh, you know, I'm in a good mood, so I'm just going to throw you out a little bit. So the bad guys try to get away, but Hercules, Hercules stops them from getting away, messes up their car. Meanwhile, Jane Foster is watching this whole thing from a window up above the street. She's like, huh, Hercules is pretty cool. And, you know, Thor has never come back like you said he would. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to go flirt with Hercules. And Hercules is like, oh, yes, yes, you are a woman and you are flirting with me. Let's walk this way. She's like, sure, let's walk this way. And um, so meanwhile, Thor is fighting Asgardians up in Asgard where the Asgardians are. Um, and even Heimdall is up against Thor. Meanwhile, back in the throne room, Odin is just sitting there waiting for the battle to end. And Baldur's like, okay, you know what? Um, I can't kill Thor. Here's my sword. If you have to kill me for, for betraying you, then that's what it'll be. And Odin's like, no, 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 no. That's fine. And so Odin goes, uh, Odin allows Thor to go back to Earth. Thor goes back to Earth. He sees Jane Foster. He sees Hercules. He's like, hey, Jane, how's it going? She's like, I thought you left me, but you left again. And you didn't even explain. And I'm through of waiting for you all the time. And he's like, just, 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 just let me explain. And Hercules is like, yo, the woman said, leave her alone. And Thor's like, I must hear Jane Foster's answer. How are you here with this man? And so um, Hercules and Thor start fighting over Jane Foster. Next issue, the Battle of the Titans. So fun. Yeah. Uh, I believe I posed this question last time we talked about Journey to Mystery. Like, how long is it going to take for us to get Hercules in full personality? Five seconds. Five seconds. (laughs) He didn't have it in the first appearance, but neither did Thor, really. They just fought the end. But yeah, I'm really glad that they, right out of the gate, give me the Hercules I think of when I think of Marvel Hercules. That's my first note. I love how Hercules is immediately a glory hound, a party animal, and a horn dog. Yup. It was awesome. he, He seems a lot like the depictions of Thor that we get from like a thousand years ago. Yeah, maybe Thor's just like had so much drama that he got over it or, or you know, over Thor's, fun. He seems like he, the he has Hercules? no fun. Yeah, exactly. He totally is. He doesn't know how to be a god, I guess. Um, I know you didn't like, what's his name? The mask dude? The uh, demon? The demon, but I actually think they gave him just the right amount of due. Because, okay. like, you know, he's defeated by the third, about, you know, five pages in, whatever. And I was fine with that. I didn't need this to be a big, long, drawn out demon battle i can agree with they gave him like just the right amount of story because there's just nothing to him right it was he's never coming back but it you know it was a thing for now and it happened and we got the last nornstone back which yeah. oh my god yeah so they made it they made that kind of important like again i think that's my favorite part about the demon is that he's like a byproduct of asgard slipping and being stupid mm-hmm. so so i was cool with them making the nornstone recovery something 
And I'm also glad that they didn't make this a five-part issue where, or a five-part battle where he can't defeat the demon for some reason. He just totally destroys the guy, <laughs> pretty right. much. Knocks him so down, takes his door yeah. and walks away. Yeah. I agree we with you. I don't, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. We get some awesome parenting from Odin. Oh, God. That Baldur, really, that depressed me. Yeah, it's like, kill my son, or if he survives the fight, he never goes to Earth again. Like, I know Odin makes bad decisions, but that seems like a really bad decision. I want to know, when was the last time Odin made a good decision? It seems like all his decisions are to be an obstacle, yeah. Yeah, he's just a bad father. Although, I did find it surprising that when Baldur surrendered himself, Odin said, the fault is not thine, but rests with me alone. Whoa, does he actually notice something bad about himself? He's never said that before. And then he's watching Thor at the end, the all-seeing eyes of omnipotent Odin turn once again to the fleeing thunder god as the vengeful monarch ponders the punishment i don't think i don't think he's necessarily pondering punishment here based on the previous panel he might be sadly watching his son go i mean his son got past Hemdall and he didn't interfere he could have interfered he could have pulled an odin on him mm-hmm. and, and stopped him easily probably but he didn't so maybe he maybe that was just a gut reaction and now he's already regretting it we'll see i felt like jane actually has a valid point in her final scene with Thor. It's just that she has been handled so clumsily that it feels weird for her to suddenly about face on Thor like this. Well, it is funny. We were just complaining about how of all the females we read on this show, she has been the worst as far as handling Mm -hmm. or as far as agency. Although I have since decided I'm wrong about that, but we'll get to that later. Uh, (laughs) but, But she did say handled wrong or right, and it's kind of sad that she's all crazy and can't, all, and boy, you know, Thor crazy and can't, uh, you know, has any personality of her own. But she did clearly state last time, please do not abandon me. Please right. do not leave me. I cannot handle that. I am on my last nerve. I'm going to be in major trouble if you leave. I love you. And he's like, I'm really Thor. And she's like, great. By the way, did you hear me? Please do not leave. Right. And so and he, he leaves. He went home, fully planning to come back the next day or whatever, and instead yes. goes to he Mongolia. Left. And he could have told her. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't he have said, hey, Jane, there's this thing. It's probably going to take me about a third of an issue to beat. I'll be right back. And she probably would have been, okay, thanks for telling me. But he didn't do that. Also, in the first or second Jane Foster appearance, mm-hmm. in the first time we see her, we know her as the nurse of Don Blake. Mm-hmm. And either her first or second story, she meets Thor. And she's like, oh, my gosh. Because she liked Don Blake. Right. And then she saw Thor. Yes. And had Thor fantasies. Right. And it, she's basically that same character. She sees Hercules. She's like, oh, okay. And you, you know what else I was thinking? I don't remember what story it was. Hopefully, maybe you do. It was either one where Enchantress came to Earth for the first time or Odin came to Earth for the first time. I believe a god was involved. But someone said she was like the prettiest female ever in the history of the world or something like that. Do you remember that? I do remember that. So that makes me think, oh, it makes sense that she's turned Hercules' attention too. Yes. I, li- I mean, they don't actually say that. He's just like, oh, female, come with me. But he was surrounded but, by females before. so Right. And then Natalie YJ. Portman walked up and he's like, oh. Yeah. I like Natalie Portman. So yeah, lots of fun stuff. Not a super deep story, but really, no. really good. I love the uh, to think that another would smite Thor in defense of Jane Foster. <laughs> That's like that was some good dialogue for me. I don't know. So anyway, yeah, next issue. I've seen that cover a billion times, so I know that there's going to be this big fight. But a whole new book, 
Oh, we still have to finish this book, though. Huh. We do still have to finish this book. We do have a part of this book left. I forgot. Um, called The Queen Commands. It is um, none but Marvel's Stan Lee could tell such a tale. None but Marvel's Jack Kirby could draw such a tale. None but Marvel's Vince Coletta could ink such a tale. And none but Marvel's Artie Simic could be such a pussycat baby. Oh, Yeah. The um the flying trolls of Queen Ula Ooh la la have left their stone hive <laughs> swarming up to attack Thor's mighty crew of Argonauts. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh boy, they really say that to you this time, don't they? <laughs> I'm just gonna lurch it. <laughs> and now by the br- <laughs> by the bristling beard of Odin, let us witness the wonders that shall befall. Okay, so um the flying thralls of Truheim are flying toward them to troll them. And they're all like, no, 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 no. We do not need to battle them. We're not going to surrender, but don't fight back unless they attack first. And uh, Volstag like cowers and um, Thor's like, you know, hold on. Cause the troll's about to stab Volstag. He's like, if you sting us just once, no one's going to be able to save you from my vengeance. So like, we're not going to fight you, but you can't fight us. Mm-hmm. Well, while that's going on, like, below decks, Loki is talking to um, Joker and Riddler, whatever, the two bad guys. <laughs> the Red Ghost, it looks like. Yeah, the Red Ghost and Deathlock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> and they, um, they load, it looks like a cannon, but they're loading it with potions to make a pungent vapor fill the air that is uh, it's a bong. poison. It's, it's a bong, look. It is a bong. Wow. Wow. <laughs> they have lit a bong full of, I guess MJ is poisonous to, um, to trolls. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, troll bongs. That's what that's yeah. what we're getting out of this episode. That's what it is. Kirby troll bongs. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm, that's the title. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, anyways, Thor is like, "Oh my gosh, we were trying to be nice to the trolls. Who did this?" And Loki's like, "Thor, you're being a coward. I beat the trolls back. I'm awesome." And um, then suddenly. These grapple rings reach down and grab Loki's wrists and pull him into the air. And the the trolls take Loki prisoner. And Thor's like, yeah, the trolls know who created the vapor. So they know that they're, you know, you're the bad guy. And yet, whoever attacks one Argonaut attacks them all. And so he goes after the trolls. The trolls take Loki back to Ula by the golden gates of Asgard. You must join us next issue because Ula is preparing to welcome the sons of Odin. Cool. This uh, this actually felt like more happened in this story than has happened lately. So that was kind of agreed. Fun. Agreed. This like you know, there's actual story and stuff. Mm-hmm. I like that Thor didn't want to fight. That's always kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. And it kind yeah. of makes sense. Like, don't fight a big squad of flying trolls on your ship in the middle of the ocean that you know could get a hole in it or something. Right. But you're right. You don't normally go to Thor for like the peaceful resolution. No, he's he's a he's a glory through combat kind of guy, but I don't know, it's an interesting take. Although maybe it's just to make Loki a villain or something. Yeah. Well, Loki gets captured and that takes them well, the, also that gives them a reason for Thor to go after Ula. And they said mm-hmm. this they've set her up as an antagonist. Mm-hmm. So it makes it makes story structure sense. 
But also I like that the trolls realize that the rest of the Asgardians were not fighting them and they captured Loki unless they just use Loki's violence as an excuse to capture somebody. He calls Loki evil one. By he, I mean Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that got me wondering, because these are all taking place way in the past and they're kind of like, you know, not origin stories anymore, but, you know, old tales of Asgard, right? Mm-hmm. So like at what point did Thor not think of him as a brother anymore? Because initially he did. We've had those stories. Yeah, but I feel like even with the young adolescent Loki stories, Loki was pulling tricks. He was. I feel like and definitely by now. Yeah, but I'm still not sure because you know he's going to go to save him. So he doesn't like just write him off here, but he also mm-hmm. calls him evil one. So it's like, hmm. He's still family? He's still family, but he's also a jerk, I guess. Right. Can't trust him, but I'm still going to sacrifice for him. Right, right. I think I don't so. Think, I don't think the current modern Thor, and by modern I mean 1964 Thor, would do that anymore. But I don't know. Maybe he would. It's, it's, it's a good point. Yeah, because, well, when, you're, when you have a friendship with somebody and they frequently and repeatedly disappoint you, mm-hmm. and those disappointments cost you, mm-hmm. at which point are you willing to pay the price still? Right. You know, at which point are you no longer willing to pay the price is what I should say. When do you write them off? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that we're, we're, we're in an earlier stage of that journey at this point. We could be. We haven't really seen Loki. Uh, well, we have seen... Shoot, man, I wish I had a better memory. But didn't, like, Thor ask Odin not to kill Loki or something? And then that's why he ended up being a prisoner for that that alchemist guy instead when he lost the contest? Or Oh, yeah. So maybe even still, he could have just had let, let Odin kill him. I don't know. Yeah, and yeah cause at the, I mean, at the end of the day, they are still brothers, right? I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know how far he's willing to go because we haven't seen that situation in the modern world yet. I feel like there's a... There's complex undercurrent to the really simple stuff that happens between them. Which is cool. Like the stuff. Yeah. You can yeah. headcanon some stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, should we Do see we, what uh, Gene, uh, Gene, the podcasting machine has to say about this one? We absolutely. Well, he says that uh, looks like Ula has her sights on Thor, like Carnilla with the same hairstyle has her sights on Balder. This is one of the uh. consequences of making Thor single to get the love triangle going with Jane. Who is Thor supposed to be with? Do we know that? I don't know. Well, in the Sif? lore, Sif is actually Thor's wife. Okay. And actually, her name isn't Sif. Her name is Wife, because that's uh. what Sif means. <laughs> is that the only name she was ever given? Yeah. Wow. Thor and Wife. <laughs> okay. So having this story happen with a married Thor is just not possible. Right. The end of this chapter makes the whole journey pointless, though. The danger came to Asgard, so having all of these warriors away from the realm puts them in a bad place. The danger came to Asgard. Did it? No. Oh, well, there's a broken sword, I guess. I don't know. In that sense, is that what he means? Um, That's what started all this. Yeah, I think either we or Gene have misread something. I don't think we're in Asgard right now. I still think we're out on the sea. We are. Beyond the the Utgard. We are. Definitely. Although maybe uh, maybe there's something next issue. So who knows? I have not read next issue yet. I decided I. now to not read the next issue of something until we've talked about the current issue. <laughs> there, is, there, there is no next issue. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was the last issue of Journey into Mystery. Does that mean that's the last issue of Tales of Asgard? No. no. That can't be true. They're just going to carry it over. They both yep. move. Okay. Okay. So before we move on, huh? there's one element of Thor that has not yet been introduced that if memory serves, 
is introduced in the first issue of Thor. Thor 126 next month. Okay. It's not Sif, but do you want to take a guess on what it might be? Hmm. What else do I know about Thor besides Sif? Warriors 3, Odin, Asgard, Jane, Doctor. I can't think of anything. Okay. So I'm pretty, it's either the first issue or very, very soon after the name change. Because I saw it and I was like, oh. Well, this is kind of an interesting oh, the, coincidence. the name of his hammer? Have they said that yet? They have not said the name of his hammer yet. You're right. Yay. <laughs> so we're getting Mjolnir either next issue or very soon after. Okay. I never knew how to pronounce that when I was a kid. Yeah. Ever. Well, we don't I, I called have... it Mjolnir, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, most kids did because we're not used to the J's being pronounced that way. Right. And now yeah. we just call it Meow Meow, right? Yeah. Because Kat Denning, she's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, is that wrap up during the mystery? I kind of feel like we have to play a song or something, but I don't know what to do with it. Um, we should have came up with some idea. Every, every time we lose a title, we have to play a sad something. I can queue up tap so I can queue up the, uh, the Thor <laughs> theme song. Yeah, there you go. Bye. So not that we actually read 125 issues, but it ends on 125. Well, our next, um, our next time this is going to happen is when Astonish, Suspense, and Strange Tales all end. Mm-hmm. And we get a bunch of different books. Yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of, should we go to Tales? Yeah. Okay. Submariner and the Incredible Hulk in Tales to Astonish, number 77. Are we still in December, whatever? Yeah, December 2nd. December 2nd. So, man, that's a long week for us. Um, the thriller you never expected to see. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't feel like Marvel does a lot of dialogue on their covers at this time. So it's interesting that this has Rick Jones on the floor going, Bruce Banner is the Hulk, mm-hmm. I think. But that's more of a DC thing, right? Oh, no. If you don't eat this red kryptonite, they'll kill Lois Lane. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Prince Neighbor the Submariner to walk among men. Imperious Rex. All heads turn as the mighty monarch of Atlantis strides towards his palace royal. Verily, this is Namor, the avenging son about to make one of the most momentous decisions of his life. Uh, Where is the credits? Am I missing the credits? There we go. The glittering grandeur of a golden reign, as envisioned by Stanley Ryder, Adam Austin Penciler, Vince Coletta Inker, Sam Rosen Letterer. Not to be confused with a golden shower. No, that's so much different. Different kind of rain. And also that can't really happen underwater, I guess. Why are we thinking about this? Okay, so... (laughs) So, uh, yeah, if it doesn't really say that, but last issue, like there were earthquakes and Namor's like, I better go up to the surface to find out why there's earthquakes. So now he's having a meeting about that because like a good king, he's not making just unanimous decisions without consulting people. So he consults people and they're all like, I don't know, should you go up there? And he's like, yes. And he's like, well, if you do go up there, you should go up there with an armor. And he's like, no, because if I do that, that definitely creates a war. So I'll just go up by myself. Imperious Rex. And then there's more earthquakes and, like, Atlanteans hugging each other and dying, and it's sad. So Namor says goodbye to uh, 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 Dorma. She wants to go with him, but he's like, no, listen, you actually have to stay here because remember back in World War II when we were experiencing these earthquakes? And so we had our our uh, scientists create this thing called the behemoth. Remember that? And she's like, oh, yeah, that was a, that was a good idea. It's like, yeah, well, remember how it's so powerful and awesome – that earthquakes wake it up, but then maybe we can't control it either. It might just kill us also. She's like, yeah, yeah, that was probably a bad invention. Yeah, it was, but it's still there. So I need you to stay back home and watch the crack in the floor, I guess. And if you see fingernails or anything, 
call me on my cell. So she's like, okay, I'll stay behind, my love. And then she cries when he's not looking so that she can remain stoic for him. He goes to the surface, but on his way there, he finds the source of the problem. It's a big, gigantic drill, just like boring into the earth or, you know, underneath the water into the earth. So he's like, well, that was easy. Let me stop that. So he grabs it and he stops it and he turns it the other direction and he breaks it. Uh, meanwhile, the people that are powering it, oh my God, welcome back. Pims. The Pims. I did not see that coming. Hank Pym has been, I guess, hired by the government to investigate the origin of life. So I guess to do that, he is making a big drill and putting it into the ocean's surface floor. And Jan's there with him, you know, because she loves him and he loves her. Uh, they report to the Pims that the drill is broken. They, he says, oh, send somebody, send a squad of Marines out immediately to kill whatever it is. So they go out in scuba gear and they have no chance. They have no, no uh, chance against the Mariner because he's faster, stronger, better. So he just ignores them completely, actually. That's a lot of restraint on his part. He just goes right past them because they're just ants. And he gets up into their, I don't know what it is. It's like their floating base or something. And he's getting shot at and he's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. This doesn't hurt me. Um, and he gets inside and he's surrounded by the military and they all got guns pointed at him. And he's like, you need to stop drilling. And Hank Pym is like, you need to stop us. You need to stop stopping us from drilling. And meanwhile, the behemoth's fingernails come out of the crack in the floor and it's the end. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. So, wow. I didn't see that coming, really. Like, that was kind of crazy. Yeah, it's it's a little bit insane. Um, but the Pims are back. And I was trying to think about how long it's been since, since they disappeared. Well, I mean, in t- terms of this title or any appearance we've ever seen. Because I think we saw them again at some point. No, we, we didn't. We saw them wondering, like, there was a panel of who knows where the Pims are right now. That's right. So we didn't even get to see them then, yeah. Okay, wow. so they were in the Avengers 16, and this month is Avengers 25. So nine months. Nine months. Okay. That's a long time. That's almost a year. And I, I think it's cool that they're back in their own title, technically. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I've read this story several times. And I've never thought about the fact that the Pims left Tales to Astonish and they came back in Tales to Astonish. So if like you are an avid Tales to Astonish fan, this would be like a cool throwback for you, kind of. Yeah, it's just a really neat little bookend kind of pair. Not, not uh, Symmetry. Symmetry is the word. Yeah. Now that said, I don't like it. I like it. I like seeing them. But I don't like this business of, I don't know what's going on here. Like, why is Hank so jerky? <laughs> well... Why he is heading, uh, facing off with Namor the Submariner whenever he should know better. He should is... know better, first of all. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't even say, oh, my God, it's the Submariner at any point. I can see Submariner not recognizing him because he's right. not dressed as Giant Man. He's just in a lab coat. But he should know who Submariner is. Um, and also that means maybe he should have expected Submariner when he's drilling a big, giant drill into this, his territory. I thought about that, and I was trying to think about what – what are the expectations of running into the Submariner? I, I had those same thoughts. I don't know what the answer is either. But I mean, he's based around New York City. Are they near New York City? Is he based around New York City? Because he also is just like a, a fantastic submarine and can go from England to you know wherever in, in an hour. But Agreed. But I feel like he's always really accessible to the Fantastic Four. He certainly was in the beginning, but wasn't he also like 
I guess that's where they attacked. Mm-hmm. But at some point, like, he didn't even know where Atlantis was. So it's like, are we supposed to know where it is if he can't even find it? True, true. So that made me wonder, like, at what point does he, as the king, and maybe that's what he's going to be doing now, but at what point does he come to somewhere on land and say, listen, I do have some jurisdiction. You guys need to not do these things. You're killing my people. And, I like, like let that us idea. I feel like that's is. the sort of thing that, yeah. that can only work as a temporary story, though. It can never work as, like, a permanent thing. Or maybe it could. I don't know. I'm looking just browsing through captions for any sort of hint about where they might be. They're above Atlantis is all we know. But again, I feel like Atlantis is relatively close to the northern eastern seaboard. Like he, also, we're in, we must be in United States controlled waters because they're out there doing like drills in the water with their ships. Right. This is a government operation. But okay, even if you could argue, because yeah, bodies of water are quite big. So even if you could argue that you don't know where Atlantis is and you didn't think about it, okay, Namer shows up and he says, I command you to halt your project and leave this area by order of Namer the First, Lord of Atlantis. Now, what he should have said was, your drill is killing my people. That's all he has right. to say. Right. And you would hope that Giant Man would go, oh, my bad. That's not good. I should stop. But instead, even what he said, though, I order you to leave. And Namer or Giant Man slash whatever, Hank Pym knows who he is. His response is, your rank means nothing to me, mister. We've got a job to do and we're just going to keep on doing it. I don't know if I like that answer. I don't like that answer either. Honestly, it does not seem unusual for Hank Pym to use that answer, but all they're doing is exploring to try to understand the origins of life on the earth. Uh I mean, they're doing exploratory science. They're not doing like a mandatory mission. And they can Um, also, can't they drill somewhere else? Or is it that specific spot that had something that they needed to find? I guess we'll find out. Only by drilling deeper than man has ever probed. So, So, So go 200 miles west and do it again. Maybe there's something about how all the progress they've made so far mm-hmm. and like relocating at this juncture would be like basically kill the project. Could be. Maybe, maybe it took him forever to get funding and he's finally here. And Could be. But also I was thinking, you know, last time Giant Man encountered Submariner, did he think of him as a royal king person or does he think of him as just a crappy villain who like teamed up with the Hulk? The last time that Giant Man encountered Namor was before he got his people back. Right. So maybe he doesn't even think about this Atlantis. Although he did say Namor, Lord of Atlantis. Like, I don't know. Like, we think of him as a king because we just went through this whole Neptune trial thing. Mm -hmm. But Giant Man didn't. So I don't know. That's true. I don't know what their overall perception of Namor is on the surface world right now, but it's probably not great. At the very least, he knows that Hank is, he knows that Namor's no joke. Right. So he's going to stare him down. He's not even, he doesn't even like have his costume. He's not even like superheroed up. He hasn't been a superhero for nine months, and yet he's just going to face off with the Submariner. Yeah, the Submariner could probably destroy a giant man, but that's just me thinking that. I don't know. Um, I did feel like, okay, we just got done cleaning up the mess from the last time Namor went to the surface world, mm-hmm. and he's going to go to the surface world again. It's like, you, yeah. I understand there's a threat. There's an imminent threat, but it's also like, did Weren't you just there and bad stuff happened and you're finally fixed and now you're just going to go again? I think they're just trying to get us out of Atlantis because they don't know. What, excuse me. They don't know what to do with it. So that's true. And it actually, it. and I prefer that too, because I'd rather just watch the adventures of, you know, a fish out of water than the adventures of the fishbowl maybe. Cause right. Speaking of the fishbowl though, did it seem odd to you that Atlantis had scientists? I don't know why that would looked weird to me, but it did. Um, I can dig it. I mean, they're an ancient, ancient culture, right? So the idea of them having scientists and people to... Now, 
what they consider valuable for science is probably very different than what we might think of. But yeah, they created a, a sea monster, basically. So right, all that fish technology that <laughs> Namor had. They didn't create a tank or a bomb. They created a fish monster. Right. That can kill them. Okay, Although I they, think they do have robots too. We forget. We met. That's right. There was something we were talking about recently where there maybe that I was reminded of this, but this is a, in page five. He mentions he's been doing something for decades. He does. I'm bringing the quote up here so I can read it. Page five. Um, oh, is that the page where he's eyeing me sexily? Yes. Time yeah. is meaningless to the behemoth. For decades, he's remained hidden, buried in a secret part of the kingdom, waiting for the day when he shall rise. And in the previous panel, she says, I'd forgot about the behemoth. It's been so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, they're talking like they've seen him before. Mm-hmm. And he's been down there for many decades. Yeah, he was created immediately after the last Holocaust when I almost lost my kingdom. So Namor was there many decades before. And so was Dorma, apparently. So this is where I'm wondering if Atlanteans are naturally longer lived than humans. Seems like it. I mean, again, we don't have the sliding scale gap yet, but that's still a long time. Right, because we're going to have to come up with a reason later for the, um, the Howlers and Captain America to still be young. But Namor is just Namor. He's just an Atlantean, so he's young forever. But again, he's not a full Atlantean. So then the question is, well, what about the blue ones? Are they immortal too or Mm -hmm. just him? Dorma has definitely aged since the Golden Age. Okay. But as in she was a little girl or what? She was an adolescent. Okay. Well, I mean, they all grow up theoretically, but then at some point stop maybe? Maybe. But she's, 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 she's aged like five or seven years of human development in the last 20. She could just really look good for her age too, for all we know. We don't know what, we don't know what blue Atlantean skin wrinkles like. Oh yes, we do. (laughs) Actually, we had that old guy at the table. We got Vashti. Vashti. He's 500 years old. I think they're just immortal. That's probably an easy way to, or long lived. I don't know. Yeah. Like Vulcans. They got the, they are Vulcans. Why are we making this harder? They are water Vulcans. (laughs) They are. That could be another title of the show, Water Vulcans. Uh, Water Vulcans. Yeah, I don't know. It was cool. What was the first title? I didn't write it down. It was uh, it was Kirby Bong something. Kirby. Yes. I forget. I'll figure it out. Okay. Um, so we got some Hulks. We got some Hulks. Let's move on to Hulks. But yeah, just to recap, I kind of like the direction it's going, and it's more exciting than the Neptune thing. So we'll see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I'm definitely liking this more than the the quest. Okay, on to the Hulk. Let's see if we like that more than whatever we've got before. Kind of almost have to. Okay, at last, the Hulk's dread secret revealed. Bruce Banner is the Hulk. And I was like, well, we all have known that forever. But then I realized, you know, we actually probably haven't reiterated that for the last, I don't know, 18 months or something. So maybe they're just reminding us. Anyway, uh, trapped in the distant future, our green Goliath learns that the dreaded evil one is really the mighty immortal executioner. That's all you need for now. We'll fill you in as we go along. Look out below. Our bratty bullpen name droppers are at it again. Script by Stan Lee. Layouts by Jack Kirby. Penciling and inking by John Romita. Wow. And lettering by Sam Rosen. So we start with a fight. They're fighting. They're fighting, fighting, fighting. And the executioner is the strongest there is. And he's an immortal. And no mortal can stop him. But then he tries to stop the mortal. And the mortal's like, oh, yeah? Well, I'm the strongest mortal there is. And no immortal can stop me. And that's true, too. So they fight and they fall off the tripod, the tripod thing that they're on that he's been using to attack the city, uh, and it's like a standstill match basically. Cuts to Thunderbolt Ross like really giving Rick the uh, dressing down, 
because he's convinced that Rick knows something about something. And he's like, you know, the Hulk disappeared. You probably know about that. And Rick's like, yeah, I know you shot him with a weird gun and you didn't know what that gun did and it made him disappear. And Ross is like, okay, fine. You got me there. But you know something about how the Hulk and Bruce Banner are related. And, and uh, Rick's like, no, no, I don't. And then he's like, okay, well, we can't waterboard you yet and we can't uh, keep you anymore. So get out of here. And they kick him out. And Betty shows up and says, did you kick him out? And he says, yes. So that was the end of her character. Uh, we cut to the future again. And executioners, people start joining in and helping him fight the Hulk. They shoot him with big rays, which hurts the Hulk a lot. And that lets the executioner, like, knock him on his butt. But that just pisses off the Hulk. And he, like, rips the whole, uh, you know, ground up. And then he decides um, to just take on the entire uh, 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 uh Pod, tripod army because they shot at him so that was a stupid move on their part but back in the present rick is meandering around the desert he's heading back to that i assume the cave that they used to hang out in when he was the hulk and stuff and they were friends and everything and he's thinking about bruce and what a great guy he was and how he's not a traitor and he wished he could tell somebody and he's kind of starting to lose it like he hears some noises in the cave and he starts wigging out and thinking like, oh, my God, is the Hulk back? It can't be the Hulk. I don't I kind of don't want the Hulk back. Actually, he's supposed to be dead. He's dead, right? And he falls over in a panic. And it turns out it's not the Hulk. It's Glenn Talbot who followed him to the cave. And Glenn sits down and says, look, I see you're losing your mind right now. That's because you have a big secret. And you really, really just want to unload that secret. So I'll just sit here as long as it takes. And you can tell me what it is. I'm your best friend. Uh, cut back to the future. The the tripods are all being destroyed by the Hulk. And the executioner uh, uh, runs away. The good ones, because I don't know what they're called evil either. There's evil ones. So there must be good ones. They come out and they say, thank you for helping us defeat the evil one. And Hulk says, I don't like you either. And they're like, oh, fine. Well, let's attack you. But before that can happen, he suddenly disappears again right in front of their eyes. Cuts back to the present. Glenn Talbot's still sitting there, still rubbing Rick's back, saying, I'll be your best friend. Just tell me. It'll make you feel better. I've got Skittles. And Rick Jones is like, okay, fine. It's true. Since he's dead anyway, I might as well tell you that Bruce Banner and the Hulk are the same person. And Glenn's like, what? I can't believe this. Let's go do something about it. And Rick's like, why? He's probably dead anyway. He's like, we don't know that. I totally tricked you. And they both leave the cave together. And as they leave, they don't see behind them that some weird whirlwind thing is, uh, uh, you know, being created and it's to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. So is that the Hulk or is that the whirlwind? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Rick Jones spilled the beans. He did. But if he thinks they're dead, is it really spilling the beans anymore? I don't know. Well, I was thinking about that. Cause like in my Superman reading, I've recently reread the, um, death and return mm-hmm. and they make a big deal about how they're not going to tell Clark's story or Clark's secret in that after he's dead. Mm-hmm. And it felt a little, I realized that John and Martha might care, but it felt a little bit unneeded. I think in Superman's case, I would wonder whether I should tell because he still has enemies out there that might want revenge, even though he's not around. So if he, if they find out that he had a wife and he had family that they could hurt just to, for spite, that might be bad. Uh, but in Hulk's case, I don't know who he has that would get revenge, that they'd get revenge on. <laughs> he right. doesn't have he anybody. Has no family. <laughs> he has no family. He kind of courted Betty off camera for a while. We don't really know how deep that went. 
I guess they could kill Rick, but Rick's the one spilling the beans, so that's his decision. So is this your other more useless female? This is it. As I was reading this, I was like, oh my god, I forgot all about Betty when I was thinking about Jane. At least Jane laments or something. I don't know what yeah. Betty's doing. So Nothing. I, it, it's one of those things about the Hulk. It's like the entire story is about him not being Bruce Banner. Yeah. So it's not like Peter Parker where being a superhero affects his personal life and watching the dynamic of those is fun. And then other books kind of pick up on that element to a greater or lesser extent. Uh-huh. In the Hulk, Bruce Banner is almost nothing. never on the page. He's nothing. Yeah, and, he's and, not a character. And by the way, that description you just had of Peter Parker, how great would that work with the Hulk? Mm-hmm. Like every time you stub your toe and get mad, you might turn to the Hulk. That would ruin your personal life all the time. Let's see that. And there are just vague hints of that in the first couple issues of the original series. Uh-huh. It's all gone by now. Like, I don't even know how he maintains a job. Every so often, they'll cut back to Bruce having a job, and it, like, blows my mind that he that we're supposed to believe that he still has a life. Right, right. It's so um, weird. And since this Astonished series has begun, I think he's only been back Bruce doing his job once. Yeah, or at some point. In the he, year uh, and a half of stories. Some some point, he's apparently developed a time gun, but we didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And he just did and that the, off book. <laughs> And they're testing it without him because he can't be found. And they didn't know what it was, so he never told them. Weird. Um, I do wonder what Executioner is doing with his life. Yeah. I mean, if this is a dystopia, is he just going to, like, rule the humans from a tank? Is that just what he does now? Well, I I mean, I guess I could see him wanting to rule whatever is left of the world, but I don't know how we got here, and I guess they're not going to tell. Yeah, I guess not. God, if that whirlwind is Hulk, and I kind of assume it must be, but like, and then we never visit this future again, what was a waste of time this was? I think just, honestly, I think that giving Rick Jones a reason to uh, spill the beans on the Hulk. I guess that's true, but you could have come up with any number of ways to think the Hulk is dead besides right, right. a future that we'll never visit again, so we don't even know what happened or what the consequences were. And this is this is a storytelling device that I don't know that I was really that privy to when I was younger, mm-hmm. but I've, I've come to see is that that's like you come up with a story to tell, uh-huh. and while you're telling that story, it feels like that story is the point. Uh huh. But actually, you're doing this entire story because there's an end game element of that story that you needed, but you mm-hmm. had to find some way to make it feel natural. Yeah. And so you go all the way yeah, out of be- your way and come back to it. Be better if he went into the future and he was Bruce Banner and he found out that the Hulk lives forever and takes over the world and is evil. Ooh, that would have been a great story. Someone should write that. Yeah, I bet you if the Hulk lived to be really, really old, he would have like an epic beard. Yeah, yeah. And he's got like you know a cap shield in his trophy room and stuff, so we know he's dead. Right, probably Thor's hammer, maybe splintered. And then that would have consequences for our Bruce Banner that we never see. When he goes back to the present, maybe he freaks out that he's going to turn into that someday. So he starts acting funny and making bad decisions and so ruining his personal life. So not only the monster life. inside, but also the monster in his future. Whoa, yeah. What's he going to be? Well, let's not so, do that. Let's just do yeah. the Executioner. <laughs> <laughs> the Executioner in some weird War of the Worlds backdrop. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. I think we're um, making fun of the Hulk a lot, but that's okay. I don't know. I love the Hulk, by the way. So if you all are going to write in and be like, you're so mean to the Hulk, he's like way up there on my list of favorite characters. It's just not doing it for me right now. Yeah, I really we'll like the Hulk there. as an idea. I want to read some good Hulk stories, and 
I haven't read the arcs that everybody really gets into when they talk about the Hulk. I just haven't read those. My Hulk reading is Planet Hulk and World War Hulk and Tales to Astonish. (laughs) That's what I know of the Uh, Hulk. (laughs) Yeah. Which wasn't a lot of Bruce Banner there either, huh? Right, right. Yeah. Um, The Executioner at one point regenerates just like... Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Breathing. And I bet you Thor wishes that he could just regenerate by breathing. Mine is which the power mine is the power eternal, power which can be replenished time and again by an immortal. Yeah, that's not a thing I've ever heard before or since. Mm-mm. Unless <gasps> does Executioner have the Odin power? The Odin force? Could be. Or are they just trying to make it seem really dramatic that he got up from a punch from the Hulk? And it's not really energy crackling. I guess it does totally look like energy crackling, though. A little bit. But it could also just be read like the Hulk punches him with both hands and he falls over. And then he's like, yeah, but I'm an immortal and powerful. And he gets back up again. And Hulk's like, what? What? But yeah, it looked more like some sort of Dragon Ball Z. My only problem with all of this is that this would have been a great twist ending. Which part? Revealing that Bruce Banner is the Hulk. It's not a twist ending because it's the title and the cover. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they really said it a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. And at first, so, and the weird thing is, is I didn't really get that that was the back of Talbot's head and stuff on this cover. Mm-hmm. I guess I looked too. I guess I looked too fast. So it's just Rick Jones shouting at me. Bruce Banner is the Hulk, and I'm like, yeah, I know. So <laughs> who, who freaking cares? Like I didn't realize it was supposed to be him revealing telling. it to somebody. Yeah, right. Which is like, why are you just yeah, telling we, me this? When you said that in your synopsis, I was wondering if that was actually your thought process. That's pretty great. Initially, it was, yeah. It was until I read the story. I was like, why are, you, why are you putting it on the cover like that's supposed to be the big draw for me? I know that. I agree that it feels like that needs to be the Hulk in the whirlwind. But mm-hmm. if it's the Hulk, why are they being weird about it? Why is it a whirlwind? Yeah, why is it just the Hulk fading into existence? And then the Hulk returns to the present day, never knowing that his entire world is to be changed forever. But they don't say that. It could not be the Hulk. I could be wrong. But I really on. just want to look now. You know what? Yeah. It's my show. It's our show. We can yeah. we can we can look. Look if you so, got it. I don't have it queued up. Yeah, I've got it over here. It's the whirlwind, right? That'd be awesome. Uh, oh oh the bad guy whirlwind? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to know if it's the Hulk? Yes. It is the Hulk. Okay. So that means these this future thing was just nothing, probably. Yeah, like I said, it just seems like it's a story excuse to have him off the table. Zero consequences for our hero or our or our anti-hero. All the consequences. <laughs> he just got revealed to the world. They know that he's the Hulk now. That's true, but he's never in the history of his life going to... Remember that time I went to the future and the execution... Hey, hey, executioner, I saw you in the future once and you took over the world. I got to keep an eye on you. That's never going to happen. Have I said before that the executioner is completely off the table now? Uh, I don't know, but I believe you. Yeah. So he and the Enchantress, their last team up was like, we've seen the Enchantress without the Executioner. Mm -hmm. Power Man. Yeah, exactly. Um, This Executioner story is like one of three, maybe, between now and like the 200s. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, yeah, he's, he's really not a character anymore until like later. Okay. That's okay. I don't know if he's my favorite anyway. He's okay. Yeah, I, I don't really. I mean, he's such a Silver Age classic Thing. that if you're yeah. reading early Avengers or early Thor, you've got to have the Executioner. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that they had him in like the movie and stuff. But oh, I liked him in the movie. I'm yeah, a big, Carl I, Urban. I'm a sucker for um, 
big heart changes. Mm-hmm. Like like a guy who's been bad a whole something or other, a whole story, and then at the end he just realizes he needs to do better. So that was really cool. I like that. You probably liked Vegeta a lot, didn't you? Yeah, I like those kind of characters that just like get over themselves, I guess. All right. Well, I feel like that might be the end of our show. That is the end. For now. It's not the end of the month, but it's the end of the show. Yup. Yup. All right. Well, next time we're going to be covering four more stories as we get into the back week of October. Mm-hmm. Sorry, December 1965. We're going to be covering Sergeant Fury 27, Fury Fights Alone, with, check it out, kids, the origin of Nick Fury's eye patch. That is going to be some interesting read because I do not understand how that's happening. Tales of Suspense 75 featuring Iron Man and Captain America, The Fury of the Freak, and also <gasps> the bombastic Batrock. Yes. Then we have Strange Tales, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, with, I don't know, someone attacking S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> Psionically. Yeah, the, the new bad guys, them. That's what it is. Um, and also Doctor Strange having to deal with the fact that he's totally won this battle, and yet the story is still going. <laughs> he's stuck in this never-ending story. <laughs> and the Avengers 25 enter Ooh. dot 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 Doctor Doom. You know what's weird is I've always kind of thought that Tales of Suspense number 75 was the Watcher on the cover, which I now know that's not true. That's Happy Hogan on the cover. Mutated. But the Watcher has looked like that before. He has looked like that. He's got like a blue cloak and he's bald. And right above him on my Mike's Amazing World Index, there's the actual Watcher on Fantastic yeah. Four. It's weird. But yeah, that's I don't know Happy if Hogan. like that in comics that we've done, but I've seen him like that in the future. Yeah. Bald okay. guy with a cape, cloak. And like the rectangular head, like an Easter Island mm-hmm. head. Yep. Okay, where can they find us? Is that what you're going to ask? You know, I was just wondering, Mike, where can they find us? (laughs) They can find us at makearsmarvel.com. You'll find uh, all of our episodes on there, which you, of course, can play on there. Or if you'd rather, open up your favorite podcast app and type Make Ours Marvel. Hopefully we come up. Uh, If that doesn't work, all the links are on makearsmarvel.com, including links to our social media, which we now have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram brand new for those interested. Uh, we also have a contact form, or you can write to podcast at Make Ours Marvel. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. We both tweet a lot about comics and sometimes about real world stuff too. Um, I have other shows that I do, and one that I'm thinking about starting. <gasps> Uh, but my shows are oh, man. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast at TFUK Podcast on Twitter. Also, All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast at All the Pouches on Twitter. Uh, I've been getting uh, ready for the next year worth of comics, and the stuff I'm going to be covering over the next year, I'm really excited about. Can you say Kurt Busiek's Astro City, anyone? Um, Ooh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, that is coming soon. So really excited about that. Um, So go check those out. And um, does that wrap us up for for another week? That's it. All right. So until the toad comes back and takes over the brotherhood, make ours marvel. marvel.